Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here. Thank you for being here. Uh, I pray that you're excited about what God has for you uh, in your faith walk with him and in the body of Christ. If you are not excited about your faith, that's not on God. That's on you. Because I, I promise you, as you engage in the Word of God, as you submit to the Word of God, in the context of the body of Christ, dynamic things will happen. Now, we trust that as those dynamic things are happening, I, I want to promise you that in that, and we'll see this in the context of the Scripture today, there will be a revelation of sin. I have to preface this right now because last week we mentioned the discipline of the Lord. But you need to understand in the context of the body of Christ, it is the love of Christ that permeates the whole body. But here's the issue. We have so individualized our faith that we refrain from submitting to the authority that God has placed in our lives. Uh, Peter is writing to the, the church, his Jewish brethren, believers who have been scattered abroad, and they are in Christ but yet they're under the Gentile authority. And so the problem is he's telling them you need to submit to Gentile authority. However, do not submit to their teaching and their way of life. So I'm going to submit to the authority figures that God has placed in my life, yet I will not submit to the teaching and their way of life. And so Peter's going to remind them who they are in Christ and how all of this came to be and how we are to be motivated to live our lives. There's three motivations I want us to see today. I mentioned two last week, and I just want to just touch on them to get us up to speed and then fin finally end up with that last motivation as we finish out chapter one, uh, this love that God has for us. Remember, our belief is what moves us in our action and how we behave. What we believe about God determines how we will live our lives, okay? So stand, if you will, in honor of God's word, if you're able to. We're in verses 13 through 25 and uh, Peter says this, God uses Peter. Uh, we're walking on, in James on Wednesday nights, and these two guys are tracking side by side. I got to tell you, as a pastor, I'm getting hammered. I don't know about anybody else, but my feet are so sore. Uh, it is, a, it is a, just a God reminding me, Tim, this is how much you need my grace. Whew. Okay, verse 13, therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? The return of Christ. When Christ is revealed, Peter is constantly through this letter reminding the church he's coming back. He's coming back. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times. There's another reminder, Christ returning in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in yourself, 
knowing God and God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, there's so much in this text, and I just submit to you, Lord, we, uh, there, there's just, we could have a lot of fun just uh, learning more about you, your character, your love, and the life that you've called us to. But Lord, today in this time, I want to submit to you and ask that you would anoint the preaching of your word. That Lord, I just trust that you will lead us in your text uh, where to go and where to land and, and how to follow through with it. Lord, I trust that in each person here today that you are doing a work in their hearts right now, in their souls, in their spirit. Lord, there is this temptation to resist the word. There's this temptation to, to not draw near to you, to not draw near to the body of Christ, but rather exclude ourselves because we don't want to uh, be un under the light or the examination of your word. We don't, we don't want to sometimes submit ourselves because it may be painful. It may be difficult. But Lord, it is in that way, in that process of, of yielding to your word, your character, uh, the love and character of God that's revealed through your word and through Christ and how we're to live. So help us now. I pray for your anointing. I pray for fertile soil and that people would respond to your word today passionately, ready to lay their lives down as you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may have a seat, please. I want to remind you, last week I used the analogy of the Jewish marriage. And uh, Peter, James, the disciples, the apostles, everyone who lived in, in the time of Jesus, uh, they understood the Jewish marriage. They understood that a man and woman would begin their, their marriage by coming together and deciding to be betrothed. They would, they would, it would be official. They would be uh, considered husband and wife, yet they would not be together. There would be the season of time where they would not be together. They would be husband and wife, yet they would not consummate their marriage. They would be waiting for that day to come. In fact, uh, the, the groom would begin preparing a place for his bride, and the, the father would then, as he approved the place, as he would examine it, he would say to his son, okay, it's done, it's ready, the place has been prepared, now son, go and get your bride. And now as he would go, he would take his groomsmen, his friends, and they would go. Sometimes it would be in the dark of night and they would go, they would go to the bride's bride to be the, the house and he would blow the shofar, the trumpet, uh, letting everyone know the time has come for the consummation of their wedding. Now, he would do things, obviously, to prepare for that day and that time. The bride would do things as well. She would be keeping herself pure for her husband to come and uh, to, to get her. And she would be preparing her wedding garments, keeping herself pure and preparing uh, those garments, also preparing her lamps, uh, keeping plenty of oil there because she would not know the hour, the time of day when he would come for her. And then that day would come and they would consummate their marriage, but then they would celebrate 
them being married with friends and family. What a great time it would be. I share that because what the epistles, Paul, Peter, James, John, all of these guys were familiar with this, and this is the time that we find ourselves in as the church. We have been betrothed to Christ. The Word of God says that you are married with Christ. You are in Christ. He is the groom. We are the bride. The church is. However, we are separate. We are not with him. We are not together with him. And so in the meantime, while we wait for his return, you hear that over, I just alluded to it in scripture, while we wait for his return, for his coming for his bride, there are things that we are to be about. There are things that we should be doing in preparation. Obviously, we should be sharing our faith in Christ so that others could be a part of being the bride, but also we should be purifying ourselves so that as we are presented to Christ at his revelation, we are a pure bride. It is the word of Christ that enables us to become pure. It is the word of Christ in the context of the body of Christ that enables us to understand the character and love of God. And outside of the body of Christ, we do not have a means by which to be accountable. Uh, so let's just uh, jump back into the text from last week. In verse 13, we see that Peter was saying, prepare your minds for action. In other words, I need to be ready to engage. As God moves in the body of Christ, I need to prepare my mind in such a way that I'm moved to action. I'm preparing my life. I'm being a part of that cleansing. I'm being a part of growing. I need to understand that this preparing my mind for action is understanding that daily my faith is being refined by fire. That's what we're talking about on Wednesday night with James, the process. That's what Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You and I are in the refining process, if you will, and my mind must be ready to respond to Christ. In the moment of that refining, in that various trial, I have an opportunity to demonstrate faith in Christ and put sacrificial mercy on display in the world that I live in, or I can be tempted in that moment, rather than to respond like Christ, the temptation that the enemy wants you to succumb to is feeding your flesh. The enemy intends this for a downfall. Christ intends this for the refining of your faith. That at the revelation of Christ, your faith will be approved by God. And so gird your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. That means I'm to be alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the coming of the groom. That's the coming of Christ. I must constantly be putting my hope completely on that grace that's coming to me in that day and time. I'm not satisfied with the here and now. Uh, many of us, as I said last week, we get excited about the engagement and forget the consummation is coming. And how crazy would that be to just focus on being engaged? You'd say, man, that's, that's, that's silly. That's crazy. We're looking for the wedding date. Amen? It's okay to get excited about that stuff, okay? It's okay to be excited about the wedding day when Christ comes. Uh, this is uh, what we are moving towards. And so as obedient children, then he goes into this father-child relationship in verse 14 that we talked about. This is my first motivation that I see in this text, why I want to become like my heavenly father. I'm not talking about earthly fathers. Earthly fathers miss it. The heavenly father. This is one motivation as a child. I should, uh, why I should change my behavior uh, to become pure, to prepare myself, because I want to be like whom? 
I want to be like the Father. I don't want to be conformed to that former lust in verse 14, as he says. But then that first word, but, in verse 15, demonstrating a stark contrast. But I'm to be like the Holy One who called me. The Holy One who brought me into the body of Christ. My desire, what Peter was saying, is that I should be like the Father. That should be one of my motivations for doing what I do. You have to ask yourself, what is your motivation for you doing what you do on a daily basis? Who are you striving to become like? And the reality is this, as you've heard me say it many times, I'm either pointing people to Christ or pointing people to the enemy. Your your behavior is speaking magnitudes. Your behavior is speaking volumes to the world that you live in. Husbands and wives, how you love each other, how you live out your faith is speaking volumes to your children how you demonstrate the sacrificial mercy of Christ. You are the ones that are teaching. You are the ones that influencing like no one else. What do you want to be in the forefront of your children's minds? So I should strive to be like the Father who has called me, uh, this Holy One. Uh, My second motivation, as I shared last week, found in verses 17 and following, is out of this fear of discipline for the Father. Remember we talked about in Scripture, we we looked at how the Father disciplines those he loves. He is actively engaged in disciplining his children. Why? Because he loves them. Just like an earthly father will do that, and we respect them for that. We know that they're doing that out of love. A heavenly father, our heavenly father, is doing the same, but more so. And so we should have a reverent fear For the Father, his discipline. Why? Because he has redeemed us. What has he redeemed us with? Uh, Silver and gold? Precious metal? No. Because he's redeemed us with the precious blood of the Lamb, his Son. Now, here's the issue here. As I mentioned briefly last week, we do not see how precious that blood is. Um, And going a little further in the just the context of this discipline of the Father, everything, everything that we are about in this faith walk, this relationship, where is the context for it to be manifested in the body of Christ? God has established authority in the church. He's established this accountability. Uh, in Matthew, Jesus said that the church, uh, the, the, the discipline of the Lord is, is lived out through the church. In Matthew 18, you can read about that. And he says the process, this is what the process looks like, that people are accountable within the church, within the congregation. Uh, now, he goes on to say in Scripture, Paul says to Timothy, talking about the elders, the elders are accountable. Who are the elders accountable to? They're accountable to Christ and the body of believers as well. How we serve you, we're accountable to you. Uh, Paul says, do not receive an accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses. And oh, guess where the context of that accountability takes place? In front of you. Uh, My accountability. So if there's an accusation, if I'm in sin, uh, the, the, the congregation in some form or fashion you're to hold me accountable uh, for that sin. And uh, there's a process for that. Now, it says before the congregation for a reason. What is the reason? So that others will fear sinning. So that others will fear sinning. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, so if I am caught in sin, 
And guess what? I'm going to be held accountable by this church. And as I'm held accountable, guess what? It is going to encourage, if Christ is going to hold me accountable, and, and I'm, whoa, wait a minute. I, I'm supposed to submit to that. And at the same time, guess what? It encourages you. I mean, you don't want your stuff, you don't want that accountability in front of you. you don't want, no, 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 we don't go there. Well, we, we're not going to go there. Really? Well, at the same time, Scripture says that the church is to be accountable to the elders. They're to submit to their authority, their leadership. And here's how this works. We're also to be accountable to one another. We're to submit to one another. Now, uh, let's just, we've so individualized. I mean, this is, this is really, this is really just, this is where we don't, this is why some of us disengage right here, right here. Because I do not want to be held accountable by you. You see, here's what we, we're really good at this. We walk in, even today, we did it today without even realizing. Let me, let me show you what we did. We walked into this room today, many of us, and we started comparing ourselves to one another. Right away. How do I know that? Because we have self-righteous attitudes. It's just in our DNA, we automatically start comparing ourselves. Why? Because uh, we, if I compare myself to you, uh, I might be able to elevate myself. You see, if my comparison, if my list for holiness is you guys, well, there may be some days where I may, I may fail compared to you. I may be down here a little bit, but uh, there are, well, where one might be a little higher than me, there's a whole bunch of you guys that I, I know I'm doing a lot better than. It's just got to be. I, I play the odds. No, 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 no. Here's what Scripture is saying to us. As I walk through Scripture, this is why it's so important for me to know this word. As I walk through Scripture, we're talking about knowing the character of whom? God. We're talking about changing the way we live our lives according to his character, his holiness. And so what do I see as I'm going through the word of God? Here's what I see. I see my understanding, the revelation of who Christ keep going up. I mean, one day I'm thinking, man, he's up here. And then I'm in the Word, I'm going, whoa, 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 man, I can't love that way. It just keeps going up. And here's what I see happening to my estimation of my own self-righteous works. They're just going down further and further and further. In fact, on, on Wednesday night when I had this on a board, Sal was reminding me of this, this visual a couple weeks ago. And, and I said, you know what, guys? Uh, if I'm going to put this on the, on the whiteboard, here's, here's my view of, of myself, my understanding of Christ and myself. And I'm going to put that arrow going up as I'm in the Word, understanding of who Christ is and the understanding of my own self-righteous, my depravity, my sin. It just, I said, guys, I don't even want to put my on the board. I, I don't want to even get on the board. I, I can't compare. But in those two arrows, as they continue to separate, what connects, what fills the gap? What fills the gap? Uh, the, title, the title for our sermon uh, in this series is Grace Living. What fills the, the gap? The blood of Christ. Remember we said, Peter said, we, we're be, being sprinkled. You see, what's happening here is that this blood covering, it's going to, my, the revelation of Christ, the understanding of Christ is going to grow. So as I'm in this congregation, uh, one reason why I am readily, readily good with submitting to Christ and you as a congregation is because I know the magnitude of the blood. I know, as Peter said in this verse following, the pre what was I redeemed, ransomed with? 
And that word redeemed or ransom, it means to purchase out of slavery or to purchase the freedom of a prisoner. We have all been, outside of Christ, we're enslaved to what? Sin, okay? We're enslaved to sin. But Christ has purchased my freedom. He has ransomed me. He has redeemed me and brought me out of that slavery, put me into the body of Christ. I have been set free. Now, did he make payment? I'm being redundant here. Did he make payment with precious silver or gold? He did not. He did with the precious blood of Christ. So what's the context for all of this? What's the context? This is why I wanted this moved here in the middle of this platform. What's the context of this church? The cross. Jesus Christ. Here's what we have done. We've belittled the cross. In fact, we've, we've made a mockery of the cross. We, we've... We've glorified it, or we've beautified it. So when I refrain, this is the context, is the cross. When I refrain from the authority of Christ in the body of church, when I say, I don't want to be a part of this, when I pull out, when I'm not allowing the word of God to hold me accountable, I'm making a mockery of this grace. I don't need that. You don't understand You've been purchased. You've been, here's what it means to be redeemed. You've been set free. So in the context of the body of Christ, I need to submit. The only way this is going to happen is that right there, the cross. And you see, in the body of Christ, we don't want to be accountable. We don't want our sin illuminated. We don't want our sin exposed by the word of God. We don't want it to be revealed to us. Because if, I, if it's revealed to me, I'm in a crisis of faith. I'm called to do something here about that sin. Now, now, God is saying, it's all covered. You're under grace. The blood of Christ has covered you, and I'm calling you to this next motivation for change. My love. My love. The love of the Father on display in the body of Christ. It is okay in fact, it's good. In fact, it's gooder than good. It's better. It's the best. This should be the most safest place on the planet for the Word of God to reveal to me uh, the, not only the nature of my sin, the area of life where that sin is exposed, and I need to be able to deal with it. With this, I ought to be able to have someone in this congregation walk me through it who understands the magnitude of the cross and how grace has been applied to their lives so that they don't judge me by their standard or the standard of this flock. The standard is Christ. And I do not quit I am resolved to continue on because that's the call of God on my life. I have sinned. I will sin until Christ comes back. I have hurt people. I will hurt people until Christ comes back. In some form or fashion, the problem is I don't believe God's word to be true, and I don't understand how to deal with it when I do that sin. Because here's the issue. Look at this in the passage in verse 20. After reading about this precious blood. Oh, but stop the press. No, uh, here's another reason why we don't do this, okay? This, uh, if there's another way, if there's another way to be saved, 
Why would God the Father submit his son to the cross? Do you understand? The word of God says he adores his son. He loves his son. We can't go into the next verse without understanding this. That's why he says the precious blood. Who determines what is precious? God the Father, not us. Again, we don't want to look at this through human wisdom. We don't, as, as Satan tempted Eve in the garden, she, he said, here's the temptation, that you would be like God, that you would be able to determine through your own eyes what is good for you. That was the conversation Eve had when she saw that it was good. She saw it through human wisdom. No, 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 we don't determine what is precious. God determines what is precious. That is why we are after the sanctity of life. God says life is precious. Therefore, we stand on it being precious. He said, this is the precious blood of my son. So when we do not, when we do not submit ourselves to a lifestyle uh, covered by this blood, we are making a mockery again of the love of God. When you say, I don't need the lifeblood, you're immediately stepping into your own self-righteous works without even realizing it. You see what God's, here's, here's what Peter's, he's walking them through the change. He's walking them through the need to be like the father because we're his children. You've been brought into the family by the father through his son. Peter's always referring to this. And we need to be like the father because we fear godly discipline. We know he disciplines those he loves. He set it up in the church, and then he, he, he says, this precious blood, he's setting you up to move into the next few verses about how we're to love one another. He's reminding us that in order to love in two ways in the following verses, verse uh, 20 uh, and 22, he's reminding the church that it's this incredible love of God on display through his son, so that in verse 20, he says, oh, by the way, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's alluding back to uh, verses 10 through 12 that Brother Allen preached on when I was sick. And he says, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. But God the Father has ordained this plan before the foundation of the world. And his appearing is for the sake of you. He's writing to the church. He's saying, in these last times, which reminds us the importance of understanding that salvation and all of this working of God, he says, are in the last times. Peter's going to use it uh, maybe four or five more times in his letter. Last times, revelation of Christ, Christ's return. And so what is he saying? This is not accidental. You being in the body of Christ is not some mere accident where, where God's son was accidentally crucified because some people got upset with him. No, it's part of God's plan. Now, he's walking us into the, in verse 22, since you have been what? Uh, since you have in obedience to the truth, not a truth, not to truth, but the truth, all of the context is Christ here. Uh, because you have in obedience, uh, go back to verse 2, you see that. Uh, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for what kind of love? For a sincere love. That sincere love that Peter is talking about in the text is a genuine love. It is without hypocrisy, lacking pretense. So the first uh, descriptor of this love, and it's to be demonstrated in the body of Christ, he says, this sincere love is to be genuine, authentic, without hypocrisy. Now, 
That kind of love, the love of God in the body of Christ, that means that I ought to be able to share with you as I'm walking through the word of God and I have understanding and revelation, I go, wait a minute, my life doesn't measure up to that. Uh, I'm falling short. Um, I need to do something about that. I need to do something about it because I want to be right with God. Uh, would you walk me through that? And in that moment, without hypocrisy, as if you, you've never done anything wrong, <laughs> without hypocrisy, ready to walk them through how to give that over to the Lord and take it to the cross. Without hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is? Hypocrisy is that wearing of the mask. Literally, they used that word for the theater of the wearing of a mask. And what Peter is saying, to be genuine without hypocrisy, he's saying, take the mask off. Would you do that? Because of the blood of Christ, I ought to be able to, this love that God has demonstrated the Father through his Son, I ought to be able to love as he has loved. His love was without hypocrisy. His love was genuine. It was real. It was authentic. It was safe. It was safe. I'm to have sincere love for you. Here's the reality. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. In some way, some form, some fashion, get off the hypocrite wagon. There are people that come to church all the time and say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. That pastor's a hypocrite or there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Let me give you a newsflash. There's hypocrites in your family. There are hypocrites at work. There's hypocrites out on the street. We're all a bunch of hypocrites because we don't want to be real with one another because we are evaluating ourselves according to our standard and not God's standard. So let's get off the hypocrisy wagon and let's decide to love each other the way Christ has loved us. Can we do that? All right, that sounds good. The second way in that he's called us to, in the body of Christ, not only sincere love of the brethren, but a fervent love, fervently loving one another from the heart. That word fervent, if I have any athletes in the house, an athletic term meaning to strive with all one's energy. Now here's where I fall into being a hypocrite. If I'm going to, if I'm going to say I'm walking with the word of God and I understand God's love for me, fervently loving one another, I do not love you with all of my energy. It's just not going to happen. I'm still dealing with the flesh. I'm still dealing with my selfishness. I'm still dealing with my pride. I'm still dealing with my own needs. And the scripture's saying to strive with all of one's energy. But that's the standard. That's what Christ did. The context, again, is right here. This is the context of loving one another fervently. We've all fallen short, haven't we, church? We have. You know, I, I don't even... If I wanted to take my mask off today... I would say based on what I did in my rebellion, I'm the last person that should be up here sharing the word of God with you. I was in rebellion and I hurt people. People just, I have the luxury of meeting people all the time and all they know about me is pastor at Champion Fellowship. 
Y'all are doing life out there. and The reality is this. Based on what I have done in my life, there's only maybe, there's only maybe, there's maybe only three people in Brenham, Texas that know the extent of what I did in my rebellion. Huh. How about that? One of them sitting right over there, Dean Portland. I know him for 30 plus years. We don't really know each other. We don't, we don't really sincerely love one another. We don't really fervently love one another. We don't know each other. And where many of us aren't willing to do that. We're just not. The context of this is Christ and the cross and the body of Christ. Now, we, we come to worship I know I need to close. We come to worship, and we're looking for an emotional experience. We're, we're meeting for that, man, God was good today. And man, wasn't the worship good? How do you know you actually were in the presence of the Lord or you were just having an emotional response? How, how do you know? How do you know if this morning wasn't just emotion or the presence of the Lord? I'll tell you how. Word of God. The Word of God says that when the presence of the Lord and the Word of God is preached and taught, there is a sudden awareness of our sinfulness. Peter, Paul, James, all of them said, do away with sinfulness, filthiness. Do away with all of that. Church, if God's presence is here, there should be an awakening of the reality of my sin and just how precious the blood of Jesus Christ is which should move me to an understanding, the last few verses of this chapter, that the glory of mankind, that all humanity, according to the scripture, is like grass and the flower of the grass. It withers away. Yet the word of God, in all of this, there's an argument, is this the word of God, the spoken, the written word, what is it? Or is it the incarnate, Christ, word made flesh? The context for all of this is Christ the incarnate one. He is the one who is our abiding hope. He is the one who is our living hope. He is the one who endures throughout all eternity. He is the only one who does not wither away, but remains. And Peter says, and that's the message preached to you. My faith, my hope, my joy, the only reason why I'm able to stand here today as a redeemed man who God lovingly pulled me out of my rebellion it's because, context, Christ and the cross. Notice I, I didn't say when I was lost. Big point there. I knew Christ when I rebelled. I knew Christ, and I ran from Christ. I knew God had a call on my life. I ran from him as hard as I could because I knew what he was calling me to. And I rebelled in such a way to the magnitude that I was in the pit and I was hurting people in very bad ways and should be behind bars right now. That's your pastor. Sorry. But God pulled me out of the pit. And I finally said yes to Christ 
and no to rebellion. And I came home. What will you do? Let's stand. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the love that you have demonstrated for us. I pray, Lord, that we would nail our self-righteous works to the cross and understand there's but one way that we have been redeemed, and that is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, Lord, you are returning one day. Would to God that the bride would prepare herself for that day. And we would stop, we would stop rejoicing in that simple fact that we're engaged to you. But Lord, we'd understand the magnitude of the word of God, that if we really believe you're returning, then we must be intentional about how we prepare ourselves for the coming of the king who loves his bride, who died for his bride, who's, who's making a, a place for his bride. And when the father says to the son, go get your bride, Lord, we're going to hear that trumpet sound, First Thessalonians. We're going to hear the trumpet sound, and our king is going to split through the sky, and we shall be changed in a moment and caught up in the air to be with you forever. Hallelujah. I'm ready to be out of this presence of sin, Lord. You saved me from the penalty, from the power, and one day you'll save me from the presence of sin. Oh, God, would today be that day. Peter kept saying it. Peter kept reminding them. There's an urgency when we understand that we are in the last days. It encourages us to make ourselves ready for our wedding day. And then we would send out the invitations that others may come and be a part. Would to God that we'd be that kind of people that we'd love each other sincerely and fervently? Uh, would we take off the mask and understand we're a bunch of rascals been saved from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ? There, there may be someone here today who, who hasn't trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They need to come and say, uh, Jesus, I don't, know, I don't know how you could love somebody like me. But thank you that you went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And Lord, I want to trust you as my Savior right now. Oh Lord, I believe there's someone in this room. How do I know that? Because statistics, uh, they say it loud and clear. They say it loud and clear. That in every congregation, there are many who think they're saved, but they're not. But Lord, I may have a brother or sister in the faith. That Lord, they have walked away. They've walked away from the fellowship. They have rebelled against you. They've not submitted themselves to accountability in the body of Christ. They've preferred the ways of the world. They've attached themselves to the love of the world and the things that the world has to offer. And they have looked at Christ through their own wisdom. They have judged what is good for them according to their own wisdom rather than coming to the word of Christ and saying, yes, Lord, you determine what is precious. You determine what is right. You determine how I'm to love. Lord, I come home today. I repent of my sin, and Lord, I want to cling to you. I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to forgive me for my rebellion. I want to ask you to, to forgive me for my pride, my self-righteous acts, and how I've elevated myself over others. But the reality is this, Jesus, I need you desperately. I need your mercy new today. Oh, would to God that we'd stop comparing ourselves to one another. We'd understand the holy standard of God. You are perfect. You are holy. You are set apart and there are none like you, O oh God. Would you awaken our souls to that truth, that reality? Would you awaken our souls to the reality of the precious blood of Christ that has been extended to us? And Lord, may we then be able to love each other as you have loved us.
Please forgive us of our hardness of heart. Please, please forgive us of how we have strayed away. But help us to come home now. Lord, if there's some that need to come for prayer, I pray they'd come. If there's some that need to pray right where they're standing, they can't even put a foot out into the aisle. But the Holy Spirit is working on them so tenderly, so preciously, so gently, so lovingly, that right where they are, they would just say, Oh God, and cry out to you. I've made a mockery of your grace, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. Help me to follow you. I surrender it all. I'm coming to you, Lord. Please forgive me. May we be a holy people. In Jesus' name, amen. You respond as the Lord.